asking you this morning that there are so many things that come in and try to block you out. The stuff of this earth that comes in and tries to pull us away from hearing you, from listening to you, from putting our attention upon you. Father, we pray for the freedom this morning to hear you. We pray that you would clear our minds of all the things that distract us during this next time together where we listen to the word that you've given to Joel and thus to us. Father, we pray that when we leave here, we would be changed because of what you have told us and because our attention has been focused on you. Bless Joel as he comes now, as he communicates to us your word. And we will praise you for what we hear. We love you this morning. And we're so thankful that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your scriptures, would you take out... Hey, Jim. Jim. Frog. (laughs) Um, Turn them to the 10th chapter of Luke. If you don't have your scriptures, don't worry about it. We'll read it. But... Study along with me in this 10th chapter, beginning with verse 38, and we will see what we can learn. Now again, <clears throat> I need to say this to you, this, uh, this to you every Sunday. Um, the outline that you have in your bulletin is the logos that God had given me, the reasoning, the, the general objective reasoning that God had given me by Wednesday. By Sunday, you've got that. But we also have the words that are new and that don't necessarily stick to the outline, the rhema. So we will be preaching a different sermon than you see there, but a complimentary one, a further one. Now, as they were traveling along, the Bible says, he entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was moreover listening to the, word, to the Lord's word, seated at his, at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. Thanks, brother. (laughs) Before we begin, let me just take a drink. Remember, I I was thinking about this on his way up here. Remember Jackie Gleason, he used to get that coffee right at the beginning? (laughs) I forget what he used to say. What a cup of coffee or something like that. You know, some some sort of weird, well, that's not in this. That's water in this. Before we begin this message, let me just confess to you that I have to be the biggest hypocrite in the world for trying to preach this message to you this Sunday. Because this is a message about listening to God. And this week I have had, I was trying to figure it up, maybe four or five hours a week with the Lord alone, period. 
And during that four or five hours, I have done pure intercession. I mean, I've just taken, I have a prayer list about this long, and I've done all the talking and hardly any listening. So I will preach this on the basis of, of something that I will tell you later on in the service. But I don't want to stand up here and pretend to you that I am something that you're not or that I do not have struggles, that the same struggles that you do, maybe. But accept this as a sermon from a hypocrite. <clears throat> Let me say a few things about listening to the Lord, because that's what this message is. Our capability of listening to the Lord. There's a few things that we need to understand. The first thing is that it is not, listening is not a natural capability of ours. It is not a natural capability. When the Lord went to the house, the natural thing to do was to prepare a meal for him because that was the natural way of hospitality. It wasn't to sit and listen and let him go hungry. When, when uh, Martha was meaning to show respect, the natural thing for her to, was to do something for him. Listening is not a natural thing. Talking is a natural thing. We talk approximately, the average American talks approximately 4,800 words a day. Now, let me ask you this. Aside from listening to TV, which is kind of a plug-in drug, you know, that's not really listening, that's kind of... How many words do you listen to from another human being every day? Do you think you listen to 4,800? One time... <clears throat> When Beck and I were living in Indianapolis, we got a call from an old friend of mine. This is a really good friend. I was best man at his wedding. We had been tight. We had gone through college together. Called me up. This guy was also in the ministry. We hadn't seen each other in probably 10 years. And he said, Hunter, I'm, I'm driving by. I just went to a seminar that has changed my life. And I'm driving by. And even though it's out of the way and I haven't got much time, I'm going to stop and tell you about this seminar. I said, great Army, his name is Mike Armstrong. We called him Army. I said, Army, that's great. You know, you come by and it'd be great to see you again. Great to see your wife. Great to hear about your family, so on and so forth. So he came in, buzzed in, drove in the thing, hits the door. Says, Hunter, you won't believe this seminar. I said, well, tell me about that seminar, Army. He said it was on active listening. It's one of the finest. It changed my life, changed my work, changed my marriage, changed. And just going on and on. He's so excited. I said, well, that's fantastic. How is your family? Great. Now, listen to this. I want, I want to just run down for you what this seminar, what this seminar was all about. I said, fine. So he just goes on and just one point after another point after another. Well, tell me more about it. Well, I will tell you more about that. Just on and on and on and on and on and on. And then, you know, when they say this, you hone in like this. And then you ask them questions to make them. And boy, it'll just change your mystery, change your life. I said, great. And he said, well, I got to go. Got in his car went down the street. Beck and I stood in the yard, watched him go, and we ripped laughing. I said, did he listen to you any? And Beck said, no, but he had that active part down pat. That's the way we are in a prayer life. Our prayer lives with the Lord. You know, we've got the active part. You know, tell me what to do. And boy, I'll go do it. You know, I know how to do things. But I don't know how to listen to things. I can't hear God. I hear every once in a while, it really bothers me. I hear people say this. It really bothers me when somebody says, the Lord told me. Well, I admit 
that there's a lot of flaky Christians going around saying, well, the Lord just told me, you know, and the eyes roll back in there <laughs> and you kind of, well, God didn't tell me, you know, but wouldn't it be wonderful if you could hear personally from God? What is a personal God? Is it somebody who just gives you a book to read with everybody else and then do what the book says? Is it somebody who gives general rules for living? And because you can abide by the general rules with a group of other people, then that is a personal God? Is it somebody who knows your name? Every God reputed in the history of men's religions supposedly knew people's names. Is that a personal God? Or is a personal God someone who can speak to you in person? When I became a Christian, <clears throat> somebody pulled me aside, and I didn't know how to pray. I, you know, that's the furthest, furthest things in my, in my... I hate to tell you what I knew how to do when I became a Christian, but one of them was not pray. Somebody pulled me aside, and I said, how do I pray? And they taught me that little Acts thing, you know, that, A-C-T-S. There's a book of Acts in the Bible, and I could remember it by... I was trying to learn the Bible, and I was trying... said, Acts, adoration... Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. In other words, you go before the Lord and you just praise Him for a while. You know, Lord, You are holy. What we have just done here, You are holy. You are God. And what that does is it gets you in a position where you admit you're not God. He is. Confession, because you see, when you have an outstanding sin, that cuts your prayer life off. That cuts you, the, the power or the closeness of your prayer life out. So confession is the next stage. Then thanksgiving. Lord, I just really appreciate what you've done for me. And that's recognizing God's process already in your life. And then supplication. You start to ask. But nobody ever taught me to listen. I think really it ought to be not Acts, but Axel. Somewhere in there listening ought to be. Because none of those are really listening. You can go and talk to the Lord until you're red in the face and not really hear what He has to say to you. It is not natural for us to listen. And it is especially difficult because not only is it not natural for us to listen, it is so difficult to hear someone so different than we are. I was reading a magazine this week, and they quoted a book called, let me see, what was it? The, the Four-Way the four System or something like that. Bernice McCarthy had written it. And it was a book about learning styles, people's different learning styles. And in there, they had an interesting statistic. Listen to this. 87% of the people who marry, marry people who are opposite themselves in thinking and reasoning styles who are opposite. And then we wonder why we can't communicate, you know. I, when people come in and get married, I say, boy, the most important thing in marriage is communication. Oh, we know. Communication, the most important thing. We know that. But what they can't gauge is talking to someone and not being able to get through. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, you're talking. You know what you're trying to say. They can't hear it. Why not? Because their thought process is completely different than yours. 
They hear it the way they think, not the way you think. And the same thing when somebody gets so frustrated with you and you stand there and go, what's happening? You are communing with someone who thinks differently than you do. And that takes work. Because over a period of years, you have to begin to clarify what is said. Well, now, if it's that tough with a husband and wife, think how tough it is with God. Isaiah 55. God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, in that ratio, if there's that much difference, so are my ways higher than your ways and thoughts than your thoughts. There's that much difference in the way God thinks and in the way we think. Now, is that going to be just a natural thing to sit down and hear God? Should we expect when we first become Christians or before we've spent hours on our knees before we've read his word, to begin to, to know how he does things, before we have listened and clarified with other Christians, should we even pretend to be able to know what God thinks? No. It's a natural thing to need to work so that it can become natural. So it's tough. Secondly, we are distracted by so many things. But watch now, they are not significant things. Now let me just ask you this. If you were Satan, and you wanted to get someone away from talking with God, would you blow them out of the water with a catastrophe? Or would you put them to sleep with little things? Catastrophes drive people to God. See, it's the little things that take us away. See, with catastrophes, we come face to face with the fact that we can't handle it. There's no doubt in a catastrophe that it's beyond our control. So what do we do? We go to God. Don't worry about people in catastrophe. They will end up at God's doorstep. Don't worry about yourself, how you would handle it if something awful would happen you will end up at God's doorstep, and properly so. But it's the little things that detour us from the things that we want. I remember reading about Jane Goodell. Jane was that person that went over to Africa to study the animals, and I forget whether she was the one that studied the gorillas or wrote Born Free. She was one. Does anybody know? Gorillas? Great. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's great to have naturalists in the audience. It was a problem for Jane during one of her stays over there because she had, she had built a nice little residence with a nice little yard and nice little flowers, but she had a problem with hippos, hippopotami. What is the plural of hippopotamus? Is it hippopotami or hippopotamuses? Hippos. Nobody knows. <laughs> Does anybody know? Can I? Huh? Hippopotami? Is it? Okay. She had a problem with hippopotami. They'd come up out of the thing, see, and, and enter her front yard and eat her front yard. <laughs> so she devised a plan. 
And the plan was not anything spectacular. You know what she did? She just put little rocks, outlined her yard with little rocks all the way around. No more problem with the hippos. You know why not? Because hippos shuffle. (laughs) They don't like to lift up their feet over anything. They're afraid to lift up their feet. So any little impediment that comes their way, they just shuffle on (laughs) as powerful as, I mean, they're one of the strongest animals in the world. But you put a little bitty impediment in their way of something they want, and they just shuffle on up. See? Us too. Christians, you as people are the most powerful animal on this earth. You can do anything, practically anything that you want to do. But it's the little impediments that distract you from the important things. If I were to ask all of you this morning, is it important to learn to listen to God? All of you, without exception, would give the general answer, yeah. But if I were to say to you, what's the first thing you have to do when you get up in the morning? You'd say, brush my teeth if I don't want my family to faint. You'd say, well, I got to, you know, get breakfast. Well, I got to make coffee. Well, I got to do this. Well, I got to do that. See, those are what, those are things I got to do. And then there are things in the day that I got to do. So the whole thing doesn't fall apart. You know, I admire you so much because life is hard. Life isn't easy. For most of you, it's a constant struggle with endless details that fall apart again. It's like trying to keep a a clean house with kids. Absolutely impossible. Because as soon as you clean it up, it's, it's dirty again. And I admire the fact that you don't want to be buried in one day in a pile of chaos. That there are so many required things that you just, you know, your nose is just about this far above water. But I also would say to you that those things that you can take care of that will only take a second, those things that you can take care of that are your responsibility are the very things that pull you away from spending significant time with God. Those are the things that you have to watch. Those were Martha's problem. You see, there was a social pressure on her. What if somebody comes by your house? And they see it like it is. Well, let's just clean up a couple rooms, you know. Those were the psychological pressures on her. What if I don't do this? That means I'm a lazy person. And I don't want to be a lazy person. That means I can't have high self-esteem. And I want high self-esteem. There was a psychological pressure. There's all kinds of pressure on her. To do all kinds of things. And there are many, many things in your life that you'll need to do. But to be worried and bothered with them is something that I don't think you want to do. And if Satan has any plan at all, it is to distract you with things that really don't matter. Let me ask you this. 
Anybody ever heard of Clarence Darrow? Clarence Darrow was one of the most fantastic attorneys of all time. Clarence Darrow had a trick. Back in that day, of course, during closing arguments, y'all watch L.A. Law, don't you? During closing arguments, um, the attorneys would build up to a certain pitch feverishly and then deliver the closing incontrovertible. Convertible. <laughs> it's easy enough for me to say. That's why I could never be an attorney. Line that the jury would have to respect. And Clarence Darrow would usually go first and give these wonderfully logical, appealing, emotionally drawing arguments. Then his opponent would get up and start into his closing arguments. And Clarence Darrow would light up a cigar. And that day you were allowed to smoke in the courtroom. And he wouldn't take the cigar out. He would just puff on the cigar. And as the op opposing attorney's closing arguments continued, the jury would watch the ash on that cigar. And the longer he'd talk, the longer that ash would get. And the longer the ash you get, the more they wondered when it was going to fall. It was rumored that he put wooden shunts inside cigars to get the maximum length of ash to distract the maximum amount for the jury. You see, what happened was not that his arguments were better, although many times they were, it's that they didn't even hear the opposing attorney's argument. Many times when you get done with a day and you look back and you say, what have I done? Can you answer that question? What have I accomplished? Can you answer that question? It's not that you've accomplished something significant. You can say, my whole day has been taken up with wiping noses, <laughs> with cleaning shoes, with getting, you know, get, you know, you know, what have I done? Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, I had a conversation with God, the most significant thing of all, it's important. How do you do it? Okay. First of all, look at Mary. She stopped. She stopped. She stopped what would be usual. She turned off all other sound. The Greek word there begins with para, which means to surround. Now, how can one physical person surround another physical person? Not physically, but with their attention. She stopped. One of the things that's very difficult for us to do is to be at peace with silence, with things that we don't have to do for a significant period of time. You ever been in a group when somebody stops talking and there's just three or four seconds of silence? Don't you feel like you have to jump in there and keep it going? That's how we are in the world. We feel like we have to have sound. We feel like we've got to turn the car radio on. We feel like we have to watch TV. We feel like we have to, you know, talk with somebody to do something. 
Mary stopped. She, fed, she sat at the feet of Jesus. Second thing that you notice about this scripture is that Mary was content to play second fiddle. Look at this. In here it says, <clears throat> And he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. How did it get to be Martha's home? Mary lived there too, didn't she? And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. Mary played second fiddle. Mary did not see herself in charge of arranging the world. I guess that's the toughest thing of all for us. When we, when we want to take time to listen to God, we honest to goodness believe we're in charge of arranging the world. <clears throat> we believe that it's our responsibility to see that people do what they need to do. We believe that we're in control and that if we don't do it, it won't get done. Can I share this thought with you? 99% of what's going to happen in the world is going to happen with or without you. That is terribly wounding to our egos. We love to hear we're the center of everything. We love to hear we have all kinds of power. But when you get right down to it, God is sovereign. You're not. I'm not. Therefore, we can't arrange the world. And if we would step down from the responsibility of arranging all of the circumstances in the world, and especially other people's lives, we might be able to listen. Martha went to Jesus and said, Jesus, change Mary. Look at my sister. Change her. That's your job. I am asking you to put me in control by you changing her so that she will help me. How many prayers do you offer to God asking him to change someone else? I'm asking you, Lord, to change this circumstance because I've got too much work. I can't take it anymore. So you tell her to get up and take some of this work so that my circumstance will be changed. How many prayers do you offer to God asking him to change the world? Do you know that your responsibility is not the world? Your responsibility is you. The power you have to control the world is the power you have to control your own life. The power God has in you to control the world is the power that he has to change you. One person. And if you will let God change you, yeah, he can exercise influence. But if all of your prayers are for other people, if you're trying to arrange and control the world as it is, you're going to end up the most bitter, frustrated person that ever lived. Remember that old song? Not my brother, not, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And whatever happened to that song? But the thought is valid. 
The 99% of the world that you can't change, you've got to leave. The 1% of the world that you can change by listening to God, you have to keep. I told you at the beginning of the service that I could only preach this sermon on one basis. It's the same basis every week. I have many of you, not many of you, there are a few of you. There's kind of an unwritten law. Never speak well of a preacher to his face here at Northland. There's a few that haven't learned that yet. And so you will come up and you will say, you were, listen, you were peeking in my windows this week, weren't you? You've been listening to my life because I needed that sermon. I'm the reason that you preach that sermon. Can I let you in on a little secret? I cannot tell you the last time because I do not remember the last time I ever preached a sermon for anybody but myself. I ever preached a sermon to anybody but myself. What you hear every week are things that I need for my life, are things that I am saying that Scripture is teaching me. If you overhear that conversation and it helps you at all, then it's pure Holy Spirit because I don't mean to convert you. I'm still trying to convert me. That's the only basis upon which I can speak. When I get up here every week, these are the spiritual truths I've learned that can apply to my life. And you're just simply listening in. I hope they help. But these aren't to you. These are to me. Mary was simply sitting there saying, Lord, do you have something for me to hear? Can't arrange the world, but I can arrange me in front of you. As you go out into this week, let me ask you to do a couple of things, very practical things. First of all, let me to ask you to arrange for some time every day that you not only read a bit of scripture and try to understand it, that you not only pray for someone else, but that you sit listening to God. And you say to God, God, I have a question and I'd like an answer. And I will hear your answer as you say it to me. I don't know whether you're going to say it to me immediately or 20 years from now, but this is a question and I have taken you seriously enough and believe in you seriously enough that I believe you'll answer my question. I will listen to you. And Lord, I'm going to continue doing everything I can. I mean, that's, that's yes, there are things that I need to do. But help me not to take responsibility for the world before I take responsibility for myself. Let me listen to you for what you have for me. And then I'll see how you work that in the world. Would you do that? Let's begin with that prayer time this morning. Just a few minutes of song. And during that time, just... Sit where you are, or you can come and, and, and kneel and go to the Lord and say, Lord, this morning I am going to begin a process of listening. And I'm not going to move from your feet until I hear you. 
And I don't know how long it'll take because you haven't got much to work with, honestly. But I'm not going to move spiritually. I'm not going to give up on it. I'm not going to become a person that says, whether I ever hear from him or not, I'm going to be a good religious person because I want a personal God. And I want a God who will speak to me personally. Would you pray about that this morning? we are all at your feet this morning and we know there are a million things that we need to be doing and a million people that we need to be praying for but our first responsibility to them is to be what you want us to be so would you help us lay that down long enough that we can begin a process of becoming intimate with you and that you truly could speak to us in whatever way you choose, but that we could begin this morning by asking you and listening in silence that you would speak to us.